is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. Pancreatic cancer. According to the American Cancer Society, pancreatic cancer is one of the deadliest cancers with a five-year survival rate of just 10%. In the United States, about 70% of patients diagnosed with this disease die within one year of diagnosis. Globally, pancreatic cancer remains the seventh leading cause of death. Unfortunately, both the incidence and mortality of pancreatic cancer are still increasing, while the incidence and death from many other cancers is declining. A new international collaborative initiative called the Pancreatic Cancer Early Detection, or PRECEED Consortium, which includes more than 35 leading academic medical centers across the globe, wants to transform the early detection and prevention of pancreatic cancer with the aim of increasing the five-year survival rate from 10% today to 50% within the next 10 years. In this episode of the Ongezim Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Diane Simeoni, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Precede Consortium. And I'm also talking with Tom Shainer, the chief executive officer of Amber Genetics, one of the participating industry partners of the Precede program. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncuzin Brief. The Oncuzin Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal Oncuzin at oncuzin.com, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. For more information on how to support the program, visit our website at oncuzin.com. And if you are living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866. And we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. This is the Yonkazine Brief. For the latest news about cancer and cancer treatment, visit our online journal, Oncazine, at www.oncazine.com. In today's episode of the Oncazine Brief, we talk about pancreatic cancer and a new international collaborative initiative called the Pancreatic Cancer Early Detection, or PRECEDE Consortium, which includes more than 35 leading academic medical centers across the globe. The PRECEDE Consortium wants to transform the early detection and prevention of pancreatic cancer with the aim of increasing the five-year survival rate from 10% today to 50% within the next 10 years. In addition to academic centers, the Precede Consortium includes industry partners who bring their expertise and resources in genetic testing, pathology, and imaging, as well as in information technology, to support the program, to determine who is at an elevated risk for developing pancreatic cancer. The Precede Consortium will analyze and standardize data curated through an integrated diagnostic platform called Lattice, a platform that runs on Amazon Web Services, or AWS. Lettuce uses Amazon Health Lake, a HIPAA-eligible service that helps organizations store, transform, query, and analyze health data, and will help researchers and clinicians gain new genomic insights for detecting and preventing pancreatic cancer. On the phone with me are Dr. Diane Simeoni, and she is the committee chair of the Pre-Seed Consortium, and Tom Shainer, the chief executive officer of Ember Genetics. Diane, Tom, welcome to the Youngers in Brave. Glad to be here. Diane, let me start with you and talk with you about pancreatic cancer and some of the initiatives that may change the future of diagnostics and treatment of this disease. First of all, 
as the director of the Pancreatic Cancer Center at NYU Langone, one of your major goals is to advance the detection and to the treatment of pancreatic cancer and to transform the landscape of this disease and improve survival rates. You and your team at NYU Langone are one of the academic partners of the Preseed Consortium. But before we talk about the consortium, please tell me, why is pancreatic cancer so difficult to detect and treat? So pancreatic cancer is the cancer everybody hears about but doesn't want to get. It's it's a really tough cancer that we haven't made the strides in as we've made in other cancers. It's been thought of as being an uncommon cancer, but over the years, the incidence has been increasing, and unfortunately, the survival rate has remained quite low without really us really making a dent in it in the last decade or two. Right now, for all patients with pancreatic cancer, the five-year survival rate is, is 10%. It's difficult for a couple reasons. One, uh, and probably the primary reason, is it's very difficult with the tools we have currently to detect early. That's probably the biggest limiting factor with this disease. It's also much more resistant to some of the therapies that we typically use to treat cancer, including chemotherapy and immunotherapy. But I do think that if we could detect it early, that could be a game changer for pancreatic cancer. And that'll be the focus about what we discussed today. Changing the trajectory of the disease by means of early diagnosis is obviously one of the goals of the consortium, as you mentioned. But in the development of pancreatic cancer, and maybe to help in early detection of the disease, are there any specific risk factors associated with the disease? So pancreatic cancer does have some known risk factors. They include smoking, heavy alcohol use, which can sometimes cause chronic pancreatitis and increase the risk of pancreatic cancer. Both diabetes and obesity are associated with pancreatic cancer. And then I think uh, there's been an increasing appreciation of the contribution of genetics and genetic risk to pancreatic cancer. In fact, we, we now think that at least 15% of pancreatic cancers are associated with a heritable risk. These are all things we, we know about, um, but kind of organizing our thinking nationally and internationally about how to take those known risk factors and that information and how to better identify individuals uh, with early stage disease has been a real challenge. And you're trying to address these challenges with the PRECEED trial, right? Now, can you tell me a little bit more about this study? It's an observational study, and that means that it is different in the design compared to a clinical study used in the development of new therapies. Well, maybe I can just take a step back and tell you why we developed the PRECEED study and consortium. And it was really kind of taking a pause and thinking, how are we going to move the needle from the 10% survival rate we have now to setting an ambitious goal of getting to a 50% survival in 10 years, what would it take to get us there? The biggest thing we lacked was really a large-scale organized effort in early detection. There are a lot of small scattered efforts, but really the, the scale and the pace at which we needed to work together just needed to be elevated to a whole other level. If you look at how we just as a scientific community worked 
very closely together with uh, sharing data and, and working urgently together to get effective COVID vaccines within a year's time, I would make the case that we could be successful in getting to early detection of pancreatic cancer with such a strategy. So what we thought was a key missing piece of the puzzle was to set up a an effort in which one, data sharing was required, and two, we were organized at a scale that hadn't been done before. And so with that, we developed the idea of setting up the pre-seed consortium where centers that have um, some organization and infrastructure in seeing patients at risk for pancreatic cancer could join with an agreement that they would be willing uh, uh, to work together to share data. Of course, this is all de-identified patient data so that we could really move the needle in early detection. So fast forward from that concept now about two and a half years forward, we now have 39 leading academic research and medical centers across the globe, all of us working together uh, to tackle this problem. And as mentioned in your introduction, I understand that there is not only a combination of academic centers, but there are also industry partners involved. That's right, because the other thing that becomes clear is we didn't have all the right people at the table to work on pancreatic cancer. There's expertise in academia, people doing basic science. There's expertise from clinicians seeing patients. But some of the most cutting-edge technologies in artificial intelligence, machine learning, genetics actually happens in the private sector. Uh, and there the key is finding the right partners who have the same goals that we possessed with the consortium to amplify our progress. That's where we had the opportunity to interact with our colleagues uh, at Ambry Genetics, Realm IDX, in Vicro and Amazon Web Services to create what we call the Lattice Project. Um, it's very unique in that we have four companies working together. That, of course, is unique in and of itself. And then working with a large academic consortia in a very highly collaborative manner. As an academic center, you're focusing on the patients. But I understand that the industry partners, including Ambry Genetics and Amazon Web Services or AWS, are instrumental in this project. Tell me a little bit more about how this consortium works. The way Preseed works is we, we have a common database and data management system. So individuals at elevated risk for pancreatic cancer worldwide that are at the centers that participate get enrolled in this longitudinal prospective study. The first and most important part is for all of us to deliver state-of-the-art care in uh, their clinical management. And so just by participating in Pre-Seed, it, it lifts all boats as far as having each center organize their clinical team and to optimize the care of patients. Data is entered into the database in a de-identified manner. And then we also collect a research blood sample on every patient once a year that can be used for a variety of different studies. That part is all very well organized, but now that uh, we've been working together for about a year and a half and we have close to 2,000 patients that are participating, now we have 
enough patients uh, in the system that we can start to really roll up our sleeves and do critical research. And that's the exciting part. The, the one other point I want to make is none of this happens without engagement of our patients. And I will say our patients are as driven as we are to try to find a solution for pancreatic cancer. They are the most willing individuals to help us try to do research in this domain. So it's really a partnership not only of the uh, academic centers and the companies we're going to talk about, but also a pact with our patients. And none of it happens without all of us working together. Let's take a break. If you're just joining us in this episode of the Oncogene Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Diane Simeoni, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Precede Consortium, and with Tom Shainer, the chief executive officer of Embry Genetics. We're talking about a new initiative called the Pancreatic Cancer Early Detection, or Precede Consortium, which includes more than 35 leading academic medical centers across the globe. The consortium wants to transform the early detection and prevention of pancreatic cancer by increasing the five-year survival rate from 10% today to 50% within the next 10 years. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brave. Sarcoma. Odds are you've never heard that word before. But for the 40 people diagnosed with sarcoma every day, it is a life-changing word. Life-changing and devastating because sarcoma is cancer. Sarcoma is a cancer of bone and soft tissue more prevalent in children than in adults. More than 6,000 people lose their lives to sarcoma each year. Treatment options for sarcoma are limited and new therapies are desperately needed. More research and increased awareness is necessary to find a cure for a cancer that you probably didn't even know existed until now. Through awareness, advocacy, and research, the Sarcoma Foundation of America is determined to help those affected by this forgotten cancer, to bring hope to the children and adults whose lives are forever changed by a word they had never heard before. Please help us in the fight to find the cure for sarcoma. For more information on sarcoma and the work of the Sarcoma Foundation of America, please go to curesarcoma.org. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. This is the Yonkazine Brief. If you're just joining us, in today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Diane Simeoni, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Preseed Consortium, and with Tom Shainer, the chief executive officer of Ambry Genetics. Now, one of the things you've mentioned earlier is that pancreatic cancer is a disease that is generally diagnosed in a late stage or advanced stage when treatment is difficult. So are the people that you ask to participate or participate in the proceed study patients that have been diagnosed with a disease or are they people that may have some of the risk factors that you talked about? Most of the patients that are part of the proceed study are individuals who do not have pancreatic cancer but have an elevated risk of pancreatic cancer because of a family history of pancreatic cancer, or they may carry a susceptibility mutation such as BRCA or ATM that puts them at elevated risk for developing pancreatic cancer. So the vast majority are patients 
who are at elevated risk that according to uh, a number of national international guidelines, it's recommended that they're in a screening program. We also do include some patients with pancreatic cancer that upon their diagnosis, we find that they're part of a familial pancreatic cancer family where uh, they have two or more family members with pancreas cancer. And by including those patients, uh, it also helps us to identify people in their family that may be at elevated risk and should be uh, followed and screened over time. So that means that you're looking for people that may have a potential risk based on genetics. And that's where a company like Amber Genetics comes in, right? But overall, I understand that genetics is a relatively small part of the puzzle. Is that correct? I think it's still a black box of what part of the puzzle it is, but it's it's a more significant part than was previously appreciated. We actually did a study a number of years ago where we did germline testing for cancer susceptibility genes in 500 pancreatic cancer patients that came into our clinic, many of whom who did not have any family history that would suggest that they carried a susceptibility gene. And in that study, we found about 15% of those patients actually carried a mutation that put them at risk for pancreatic cancer that we otherwise would have never known without testing. It was that study, along with a couple of similar studies by other colleagues, that helped us generate guidelines that all patients with pancreatic cancer should have genetic testing. And that is now uh, considered the standard of care. Genetics may potentially lead to specific screening and in some cases to the opportunity to diagnose earlier. Now, as a doctor, how important is it for your patients if you can diagnose the disease, say, three, six, ten months earlier than you would otherwise be able to do? How does that change the trajectory of pancreatic cancer? So I think that's an excellent question and one that gets asked often, which is, what is what is the impact of screening? Is that really going to make a difference? And we don't have a complete data set yet, but we have a couple of studies, each a couple hundred patients in size, that pretty strongly suggest that for people at elevated risk, if they are in a screening program, that there's significant downstaging of stage of cancer diagnosis for individuals in screening versus those that are not. So I'll give you an example. Those studies suggest that if someone is in a screening program, the ability to resect or surgically remove someone's pancreatic cancer approaches at least 90% as compared to the average person who walks into our pancreatic cancer clinic in which the ability to resect someone's tumor is only about 15%. So that's a huge difference. Furthermore, there's One study uh, that was published that shows that for individuals in which a pancreatic cancer is detected when it's one centimeter in size or smaller, that that parlays to a five-year survival rate of at least 75%. So what's clear with the emerging data is if we move, if we really push identifying who's at risk, enroll many more patients who it's appropriate for to be enrolled in screening, then we can really shift the whole curve of this disease from late stage disease to 
early stage disease, surgically resectable disease, and really change survival, I think, with an opportunity to get up into the 60 to 75% range if we uh, strategize properly. And right now, the disease is feared because the long-term survival is limited, right? That's correct. And basically, if you're diagnosed with advanced disease, which most patients are, we don't have curative options. The other statistic that I think is really um, drawing attention is there was a study that showed if we don't make advances in pancreatic cancer, it is projected to become the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States by 2030. So you take a a very difficult to treat cancer, which was has been thought to be uncommon. And now what we're realizing and is becoming true is it's not that uncommon. In fact, when I speak uh, to an audience and I have, pe- I often ask people in the room to raise their hand if someone they know or love has died of pancreatic cancer. And most of the time, at least a third to 40% of the hands in the room go up. So this is not an uncommon cancer anymore. This is a cancer that people need to pay attention to. That's scary. Now, if you compare pancreatic cancer, for example, with another major cancer like colorectal cancer, the big difference is that with colorectal cancer, we have a lot of tools to screen and diagnose. And while colorectal cancer remains a deadly cancer, if it's not detected early enough, the fact is that we don't have a lot of screening options for pancreatic cancer. That That's correct. We don't have a, a version of a colonoscopy for pancreatic cancer. We don't have uh, mammography as breast cancer does. The five-year survival rate for breast cancer is, is 90%. The five-year survival rate for colon cancer is well above uh, uh, 50 to 60%. So when you look at significant improvement outcomes for some of these cancers that we just mentioned, it's really early detection that has made the huge impact improving survival. So that really needs to be our focus for pancreatic cancer. And is that what you're trying to do with the PROCEED trial, where you work with academic centers and industry partners like Ember Genetics and Amazon Web Services to develop new tools and remove barriers to screen, diagnose, and treat pancreatic cancer, just like we were able to do with colorectal cancer and breast cancer? Yeah, my my thinking about it is pancreatic cancer is a complex problem. And if you have a complex problem, you need to have a diversity of expertise that's thinking about it, working on it, and trying to tackle it together. So what we've tried to create with Preseed is a platform, if you will, where we can invite experts uh, and a variety of domains, experts that have not even thought about working on pancreatic cancer to say, hey, this is a very unique opportunity for me to bring my expertise to the table to tackle pancreatic cancer. I always say to my patients, if we can land on Mars, we should be able to detect pancreatic cancer early. We just don't have the right team assembled to work on it. So that is part of Precede's effort is to assemble the right team at the right scale to work on this complex problem. Let's take a short break, and then we're back with Dr. Diane Simeoni, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Precede Consortium, and with Tom Shainer, the chief executive officer of Ember Genetics. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, 
even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. In today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Diane Simeone, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Preseed Consortium, and with Tommy Shainer, the chief executive officer of Ember Genetics. We're talking about a new initiative called the Pancreatic Cancer Early Detection, or Preseed Consortium, which includes more than 35 leading academic medical centers across the globe. The consortium wants to transform the early detection and prevention of pancreatic cancer by increasing the five-year survival rate from 10% today to 50% within the next 10 years. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. And part of that is to develop the tools necessary to help you make progress in detecting and treating the disease. But there is more. You also talk about establishing evidence-based practice standards for genetic testing. Yeah, so, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that we were able, through the data we collected, to prove that genetic testing for pancreatic cancer patients was scientifically sound and established that as a guideline. But there are still lots of pieces of missing information about genetic risk across a number of individuals who have elevated risk factors for pancreatic cancer. One new advance uh, that was just passed several months ago was to offer genetic testing to people with a single first-degree family member with pancreas cancer. So that will probably identify uh, 7 to 8% of people in that population that carry a gene that puts them at risk for pancreatic cancer. So with the cost of genetic uh, testing coming way down, and in fact, for example, uh, Ambry that we're partnering with has a uh, very high quality genetic test, including uh, RNA-seq, which Tom can talk about, for less than $250, then it really opens up new opportunities uh, to broaden our use of germline testing. And here we're talking about finding mutations that are actionable. We were able to do uh, increased screening in certain individuals and also in, in some cases even potentially prevention. So based on genetics, you can see if a patient has an elevated risk of getting the disease. But on the other hand, you can also tell patients when they do not have an elevated risk based on genetics. So what can people do with that information? And what do you do as a doctor with that information? So for individuals that we find with a single family member with pancreas cancer that carry a mutation that puts them at elevated risk, then that qualifies them to have pancreatic screening, which is annual imaging of their pancreas. We also have a substantial cohort of patients that have two or more family members with pancreas cancer, and we call that familial pancreatic cancer. And those folks qualify for screening, but we still don't know all the genes that cause pancreatic cancer yet. 
I think here is an opportunity with pre-seed to do a much larger scale effort to identify these causative genes that have been elusive. For other cancer types, a lot of the genetic cause of um, cancer has been identified because to determine the genes that uh, cause a cancer in the family, you not only need blood samples, but you need the cancer tissue. And that has actually been very difficult to obtain because most patients with pancreatic cancer have advanced disease and the tumor tissue is never acquired. Now with pre-seed, which is a very large-scale effort, we can not only leverage use of currently available clinical genetic testing, but really push the needle in identifying new genes that are associated with pancreatic cancer risk. And to go a step further, as part of developing a comprehensive risk model, you also develop and validate biomarker assays that might include blood tests and imaging tests to potentially diagnose pancreatic cancer earlier, right? That's correct. And there's a lot of research happening right now to try to develop an early detection blood test for pancreatic cancer. But importantly, as part of that research, you have to test uh, a potential biomarker in the right patient setting. And with Preseed, we have the right patient setting to test potential early detection blood tests, where what we want to know is if a test is positive, uh, how does it correlate with clinical presentation of disease? What are the false positives? What are the false negatives? Is it best to have a single test in isolation, or are we better off having a panel of five to six different tests bundled together. With Preseed, now we're uh, for the first time in a position because we collect blood longitudinally on all these patients, being able to um, help sort those critical questions out. And that is hopefully leading to the desired goal of diagnosing and ultimately treating pancreatic cancer earlier. Now, one of the members of the Preseed Consortium is a company called Amazon. Amazon Web Services or AWS. When I first heard this, I had to laugh a little bit because when we think about Amazon, we don't immediately think of Amazon as a company that plays a role in science and medicine or healthcare for that matter. But in this case, they are really crucial for the success of the Precede Consortium in working with you to make sure that you get the data that you need. Tell me a little bit about the role Amazon plays. I actually wasn't aware of the role Amazon played in in, uh, the healthcare space, but I've been so impressed with the world-class team they have brought to the table and their willingness to contribute their expertise and resources to work with us. In fact, a number of the teams assembled from each of these companies actually have volunteered their time to work on this uh, pancreatic cancer project with us, which is quite amazing. One of the things that has been a struggle is having data scattered all over the place and not collated and organized in a very robust way. So what Amazon has offered uh, to do for us is to create a data a cloud where we can keep all the data Of course, this is all de-identified and secured, uh, so it's not linked to the patient, but it allows us to uh, do data analytics at a scale that has not been done before. Aside from developing an early detection blood test, we also need to have very sensitive imaging tests. So in a perfect world, 
if someone was uh, to develop a pancreatic cancer, they would have a positive blood test and then we would be able to do imaging and find a one to two millimeter pancreatic cancer. And so what they have also offered is to take uh, curated images and store them on the cloud. So that creates an incredible resource for us to bring imaging experts from around the world together to to help us work on how do we push the frontiers in uh, uh, very detailed, sensitive molecular imaging. So I'm very excited about that part as well. So I would say, Peter, this is Tom Shainer. Amazon Web Services is helpful in three key categories. So one is the human capital they brought to the table here. Uh, For example, like their chief medical officer at AWS is part of this initiative. Their head of informatics for the globe is part of this initiative. Um, So that's one big uh, aspect of their contribution. The second, to Diane's point, is their ability to consolidate very large healthcare data sets in an effort for us to utilize those data sets. And then the third piece, and this is a five-year strategic partnership that was signed several months ago between Realm Integrated Diagnostics and Amazon Web Services is the building out of this Lattice platform. And and many companies and lots of research initiatives generate data, but unfortunately, the majority of them don't have the ability to integrate that data, manipulate that data, and turn it into useful insights. Lattice is the platform that will allow us to do that. So Amazon, again, helping us with the people aspect of it, helping us with data storage, and then helping us build out this Lattice platform. And this Proceed initiative will be one of uh, the very first large customer data sets we put through the platform. And part of the whole process is that, uh, of course, Proceed is an international project, which makes it a bit more difficult when you look at privacy and connecting people in different parts of the world. But that is exactly what the consortium is doing, right? That's right. The pancreatic cancer community is, you know, we all know each other. We interact, uh, we work on projects together, and it became clear if we really wanted to try to hit our goal of getting to a 50% survival rate worldwide in 10 years, this was not something uh, that was going to happen by just tackling the disease in the United States. That's why having uh, this collaboration the lattice collaboration with these four companies and the, the power that comes with that collaboration uh, puts it on a whole new level. Let's take a short break and then we're back with Dr. Diane Simeoni, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Precede Consortium, and with Tom Shainer, the chief executive officer of Ember Genetics. Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps. Others' huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together, we can stand up for all of us. 
This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. This is the Yonkazine Brief. If you're just joining us, in today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Diane Simeone, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Preseed Consortium, and with Tom Shainer, the chief executive officer of Ambry Genetics. We've addressed some of the medical issues involving this study. We've also talked a little bit about linking the data that you're able to collect, as well as the privacy concerns and the importance to really gain intelligence and knowledge based on the data you've collected. But there is another part that is also very crucial for the success of the Prisheed study. And that is, of course, communicating with doctors and healthcare providers to make sure that they are aware of what you're doing but also making sure that people with specific risk factors and pancreatic cancer patients know about this. As a group, what are the partners of the consortium doing in this area? Yeah, so I think you've hit on a really critical point that I think a lot of people in academics don't really appreciate, but has not been lost on me is in the end, If we don't communicate effectively, not only to our peers who maybe aren't in the pancreatic cancer field, but to to patients who, you know, really sometimes need to be their own advocates, then we're not going to be as successful as we would like to be. So we do think a lot about that. Uh, We try to leverage social media. But uh, an important thing to highlight is with this partnership, and of of course, when you look at the power of Amazon, that will provide us tools at a whole other level uh, to reach out. A lot of clinicians have actually been pretty nihilistic about pancreatic cancer. They often don't refer patients to centers of excellence Uh, because they think there's nothing that can be done. A lot of clinicians also aren't aware of the advances in screening and early detection, the need to do germline testing. So really, it, it, it takes a community of us to work on getting the word out. And we do, uh, as part of this collaboration, we actually have a communications team that's specifically working on this. We consciously put together a three-pronged marketing and PR plan around this. One was for the internal consortium uh, constituents. The second was for external and academic centers and other uh, clinics around the world that are going to want to join the consortium. And the third and probably the most important is, is the patient aspect of that. And as Diane said, everything from websites to social media, uh, even this podcast we're doing with you is an example of us trying to get the word out um, and bring more attention to this initiative. But we expect this to be a five-plus year initiative. Uh, We're going to go as fast as we possibly can to get past 10,000 patients, go from the 39 institutions to well over 100. Uh, And and again, if we're going to drive that survival rate from 50 or 10 percent up to 50 percent in this time frame, uh, we're going to it's going to take a village. So we uh, have a pretty robust marketing plan to make sure that we get the word out. If you look at colorectal cancer and breast cancer, there are very strong patient advocacy organizations. These patient advocacy organizations may help patients, their family, and their caregivers navigate the cancer landscape and work to ensure that patients receive appropriate and timely care, education, and in some cases, financial assistance when needed. As a doctor, what do you believe should be the role of patient advocacy organizations in pancreatic cancer? I think it's critical. I've been working on pancreatic cancer since the mid-90s, and... 
really there was not very much patient advocacy because everybody who got pancreatic cancer died. We have made significant advances in bringing attention to pancreatic cancer worldwide. We still have a way to go. Uh, I've actually testified in front of Congress. We have, uh, through a variety of advocacy organizations, and they're all aware of this effort, be it uh, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, uh, which I've had the privilege to serve as the chair of their scientific and advisory board, Lust Garden Foundation, National Pancreas Foundation, et cetera, we all work together and we also have patient advocates embedded in the Precede Consortium for all the work that we do. So I'm hopeful someday we'll see purple cleats out on the field and uh, purple lemonade on airplanes. Of course, uh, we're advocates of making advances in cancer research across uh, all cancers. Um, but I will say uh, an important data point uh, that I, I learned uh, a couple of years ago was for what we call recalcitrant cancers, cancers in which the five-year survival rate is less than 50%. The NIH budget for cancer research was only 15% of the budget. So we've tried to draw attention to make sure that the cancers that have been very difficult to treat, and pancreatic cancer really is the poster child, that there's adequate funding and awareness around these cancers. And uh, I think uh, due to an effort like this one we're talking to get today, and hopefully this will spur others that come along, that it will be uh, a new era of focus on, on pancreatic cancer. Let's switch gears a little bit. What we've seen over the last 12 to 24 months is that people in general are more aware of disparities in healthcare, including disparities in clinical trials and medical research. One study by scientists from the University of York in the United Kingdom suggests that some people do not want to participate in medical research because they fear losing control of the treatments they receive. And they worry about possible side effects. Another factor is a lack of trust quoted by minority ethnic patients around the world, perhaps because of a legacy of major historical violations of ethical standards. How will you address this? Because obviously, the more people participate and the more diversity is included in medical research, the better it is, right? Yeah, I think you raise a really critical point and one that we are focusing on. We actually have a committee and working group uh, that's working on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion to try to tackle this issue. We also focus on having centers that have um, good engagement of uh, underrepresented populations so that we make sure that the quality of uh, clinical care and opportunity participant research is available uh, to anybody across the country that would like to participate. I know that Ambry Genetics is helping uh, also to lead the charge in this uh, area. We wanted to make sure that everyone had access to the testing. So we provide um, free of charge testing for those individuals who are underinsured or without insurance uh, to make sure that we can, one, get the diverse population, but then two, make sure that we um, act, have access across all these communities. That's already been put in place as part of this initiative once when it launched. Yeah, so we actually asked 
Tom and Ambry if they'd be willing to consider that, which is, you know, obviously makes a significant financial commitment because we actually thought that was really important for our patients. And much to our delight, Ambry stepped up to the plate and uh, offered uh, free genetic testing for underrepresented minorities that, uh, or, or individuals who, who can't afford to pay for genetic testing across the consortium. That's a really big deal for our patients. That's indeed good news. As a final question, this year we celebrate the fact that 50 years ago, President Richard Nixon signed the National Cancer Act. When you look back at your work and the research and developments in pancreatic cancer in general over the last decades, how important was this initiative? So clearly, cancer is a disease that kills many people uh, in the prime of their life. And I think having a national organized effort to tackle cancer has really been critical. I do think, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, for complex problems like cancer, there needs to be large-scale organized efforts to tackle diagnosis and improve treatments at a high level. Obviously, the NIH and the NCI is, is critical uh, to fund laboratories around the country. But I will say, I think in the current era, we have a unique opportunity to have partnerships with the private sector and leverage our respective strengths to make advances for, for cancer. And uh, I think this collaboration between Precede, Ambry, and Lattice is such a collaboration. And I must say, uh, Tom and uh, uh, the CEOs of these companies have been incredible partners in forging out a strategy to get to 50% in 10 years. Um, uh, it's really been a remarkable journey so far. Yeah, I think we're, we're honestly just scratching the surface right now. And to Diane's point, like this is the largest pancreatic research initiative in history, and it'll set the tone and the stage for initiatives to come. So um, again, I think this will be a, a catalyst uh, to, to ignite a bigger spark as it relates to visibility on this. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And hopefully we'll be able to see some great results from the Proceed Consortium in the near future. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. In this episode of the Oncosim Brief, I spoke with Dr. Diane Simeoni, the committee chair and principal investigator and executive committee chair of the Proceed Consortium and with Tom Shainer, the Chief Executive Officer of Hamper Genetics. For more information about the Precede Consortium, go to precedestudy.org. For us here at the Youngest in Brave, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors, and advertisers, for your ongoing support. Your support makes it possible that you can hear this program via PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. You can also download our program via podcast and streaming media, including iTunes and Spotify. For more information about supporting the Oncosine Brief, go to oncosine at oncosine.com. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866, and we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all, and thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncosim Brief. The Oncosim Brief is a global medical educational service from the publishers of Oncosim and ADC Review. 
the journal of antibody drug conjugates. Support for the Yonkazine Brief comes from our commercial underwriters and advertisers and the listeners to this station. For more information about advertising, underwriting, and sponsoring options, visit Oncazine at www.oncazine.com forward slash podcasts. The Oncazine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content in this program is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice and guidance. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.